series out of the book of Proverbs, and the title has been Listen. As a culture, I don't know that we're very good at listening. As individuals, we may not be very good at listening. Often, we're simply listening, waiting for a pause in a conversation so we can speak. And as much as I wish this was a dialogue, it really isn't because that doesn't necessarily flow in this setting. But today, I hope to explore a few ideas in regards to family. And maybe you understand this, maybe you don't. As a communicator, there's so much that I would love to communicate this morning, and we can't do it all. And so for those of you who are already hoping that I talk about a particular thing, you'll know in about 25 minutes whether I did. And if I didn't, it wasn't because it wasn't important, but there simply isn't space to address every single thing. But this word family evokes a lot of images for us. Webster's, our go-to, now online rather than in print, defines family as a basic unit in society traditionally consisting of two parents raising their children. Second definition, a spouse and children. Third definition, a group of individuals living under one roof and usually under one head or a household. A group of persons of common ancestry. We, if you're Scottish, you might know your clan. And uh, I did some of that research. I do not have a hidden castle in Scotland. I was kind of bummed to know that or a group of people united by certain convictions or a common affiliation. That would potentially describe us as the body of Christ that calls South Rock home. But for some of us in this room, the word family is a rich, meaningful word. Todd referenced that of memories with grandparents and laughter and traditions and all of the things that might go along with that. For some, families like, meh, they're okay. They're not bad people. Did you see the meme the other day? Our internet went down. I spent three hours with my family. They seem like nice people. Some of us might get that. And for some, this idea of family is really painful, really uncomfortable, because there was brokenness and tragedy in your family experience. But when it comes to family, each of us wear a label, son, daughter, mother, father, brother, sister, all of those things. And so it gives us a particular lens when we think about this concept of family. But might we agree this morning is family is not always as God intends it to be. So Proverbs encourages us to listen, and as Andy has reminded us, it is not a book of promises, it's a book of insights and reminders and wisdom. And so Proverbs 1.8, our scriptures this morning are not going to be on the screen, because in full disclosure, I finished this out yesterday morning about 11 a.m., and there was not enough time to put that on our tech people. So that is totally me, no hate mail to the tech folks, okay? Proverbs 1.8. The author at this point is writing to his son, and he says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teachings. Now, I think it's important that we understand with that counsel is the understanding that it be foundationed on the truth of God's word and its counsel. So when we're told to listen to our father and our mother, that's in this arena or this ballpark of what is true dependent upon God's word. Because some of us might have had an experience growing up where our mother or father gave us some really bad advice. 
or some really dangerous counsel that might even be considered sin. So let's not lump that all together in this. But as we hear counsel based on the word of God, the author of Proverbs goes on in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. We are a culture and a world that wants the secret sauce. We want the seven simple steps. We want to know how to do it the easiest and best way. God's word already tells us that is hopefully within the context of a family, we begin to learn and see modeled these ideas of fearing the Lord and seeking knowledge and wisdom from Him and God's original design. And aren't you glad God's a good designer? What, what would happen if God was a designer like we are? Well, the earth would go backwards every now and again, or the sun would come up in the west, which some of you would prefer, but it's kind of nice that it comes up every morning in the east. We can count on that because God's a designer. His design for family is that we take full advantage and much of what I'm going to talk about this morning is more for parents of grown children, people with gray hair or no hair, you know who you are. But I do want to say to those of you who are still raising children, it is one of the best seasons of life. Because when they're young, there's an openness much of the time. There's a malleability. You can coach and encourage. You can still ground them and send them to their rooms. Please don't put them in a kennel. That's against the law. But as our children grow and mature and move into alleged adulthood, the opportunities that we have to shape and coach are more and more from a distance. So those of you with little kids, man, just enjoy it. I did hear a recent study that suggested after the first 18 years of our children's life, cumulatively, we only have another year of interaction with them. We're not killing them off when they're 19. It just means adult kids and our interaction gets less and less frequent. Now, our daughter, Grace, was here last evening and we went to dinner. Grace is 25. She's not here so I can talk about her. She said, I shared that with her, and she said, Dad, you got a real bonus with me because she's 25 and still living at home. Um, <laughs> we're all ready for that to change, her most of all. But this idea of trusting in God, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with your, all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways submit or acknowledge to him, he will make your path straight. So when we speak about family, we need to go back to the word of God, we need to understand what it says, and the Proverbs have a lot of insights. So since I get to decide what we're going to explore this morning, I have three issues that I would really like to explore. And let me say, as we move into these, family can be messy and challenging. Show of hands, how many of you would agree with that? Family can, ah, it's almost universal, and the rest of you are lying, okay? <laughs> family can be messy and challenging. All we have to do is go back into the Genesis account. Cain and Abel is a really good example those of you who are raising siblings, do you ever have Cain and Abel moments where they just are ready to murder each other? And hallelujah, that doesn't happen very often. Or we can move into the New Testament. Paul and Barnabas weren't blood family, but they were Jesus family, and they got into such a sharp dispute over John Mark, they went their separate ways for a period of time. I love that the Word of God is honest. So the first message I want to explore for some moments this morning is very distorted 
but it is attempted to be pulled through Scripture. And it's Exodus 20, verse 12. It says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land and in the land the Lord is giving you. Let me say to parents of grown children, it does not say in the word of God that our grown children must obey us. And if you're a grown child that's had a parent try and manipulate them or coerce or coach or whatever that is, you go, thank you for saying that. We are commanded by the Word of God to honor our parents. My father is in the service this morning. I called him this week, and I said, hey, I'm going to talk about family. He goes, am I going to be an illustration in there? My brother is also a preacher in northwest Montana. My dad is relatively confident that he has been the subject of several sermons. <laughs> I'm not confirming nor denying that. But the Word of God tells us to honor our parents, which is first and foremost a posture of the heart. How do we believe and speak about our parents as grown children? To speak words that are respectful and honoring is God's direction to us. Now, that doesn't mean we have to agree. And in fact, we will not agree with so many things in the parent-child dynamic. And that doesn't change as we're grown. We just have more latitude. We're back to I can't be grounded or spanked. That would be a rodeo. I'd actually like to see that happening. Not really. But here's my advice, and I think the Proverbs bear this out. For parents of grown children, you know who you are. Bite your tongue and pray. Keep the welcome mat out and the fridge full. And Rick's side note, change the locks so that they have to knock on the door. That's Rick, not the Bible, okay? <laughs> Some of you know a little bit about our story, our family. We went through a season where there was lots of strife and division in our family, partly because I don't think we understood what it meant to be parents of grown children and this part of we was not good at keeping my mouth shut. And so I want to apologize collectively for grown parents in the room and you who are having to deal with that. We don't have it all figured out. But please understand, for the most part, when grown parents are offering advice or counsel or whatever goes along with that, it comes from a good heart. It comes well-intentioned. We've paid full price for the lessons we've learned and our learning, we just don't want our kids to pay full price. But show of hands, how many of us need to pay full price for the lessons that we need to learn? So grown dad, bite your tongue and pray and keep the welcome mat out, which is the title of a book if you want to get it and read it. Grown children, please try and understand, again, for the most part, it's a heart that wants to soften the sorrows and the heartaches of life. Proverbs 10, verse 12 says, love covers over a multitude of offenses. We cannot be in a family dynamic and not step on each other's oxygen hoses from now and then. That's just part of being in family. So please understand there is only one Holy Spirit and none of us are Him. Isn't that good news? Have you ever tried to play Holy Spirit? I like trying to play Holy Spirit. Never goes well for me or the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit says, butt out, dude, and I'm learning to do that. Second thing I want to camp out on for a minute this morning is a cultural buzzword, and for those of you who don't know, my primary role here at South Rock is to work at our counseling center, and it's so exciting. 
to know that as a church, we're investing in that. Tomorrow morning, we have two more therapists beginning with us, one of which is our grown daughter, Grace. I could not be more proud. She's going to be down the hall. She's going to be a better therapist than me by a factor of 100, which is kind of fun. But she said to me after last night, she said, Dad, you said a couple things you might want to think about. So I'm thinking about that as I teach you this morning. But the two things I want to throw out there, and somebody's blood pressure is going to go up, is this statement. My family member is a narcissist, and they probably have narcissistic personality disorder, and they gaslight me all the time. Now, not that many of you know me personally, but just the word gaslight makes me want to vomit because it's become a buzzword or a catchphrase to fit all kinds of stuff underneath it, some of which is just human nature. So Webster's define narcissistic as extremely self-centered. Isn't that a human condition, that we're extremely self-centered? Now, here's what Grace told me to say to y'all this morning, because you heard it last night. Dad, don't say we all have narcissistic personality disorder. We don't. That's less than 5% of humans on the planet, according to the alleged experts. But we all have a tendency to be narcissistic. Do you know how you know this? There's one piece of pizza left. Who are you thinking of? (laughs) Now, there's a few of you in the room that go, I'm not thinking of myself. And that's a true statement. But you are outliers in the world of research. Okay, so narcissism is extremely self-centered with an exaggerated sense of self-importance marked by a characteristic of excessive admiration or infatuation with oneself. We've all had these moments. We all will have these moments until Jesus calls us home. Gaslighting, the definition, is psychological manipulation of a person usually over an extended period of time. And it goes on and on, but I'm not going to take the time to read all that All of us struggle with narcissism, and all of us, 100%, have gaslighted at some point. But could we just not use the word gaslighting? Because that's just a buzzword. We've all done what paints us in a better picture. We've all tried to talk somebody into believing something that we want them to believe. Now, if you are the exception, I'll meet you at the doors over there, and you can tell me I'm wrong, and somebody in this room is. You've not struggled with that at all. But the vast majority of us have struggled with this, and we use shame and guilt. I'll give you an example. Grown parents of children. I have done this. I have repented to my grown children. I am repenting publicly. I will not buy you lunch on Sunday morning unless you go to church. Now, if you've ever said that, don't feel shame and guilt. That's not the work of God. My hope is there's a measure of conviction in there because in that space, I'm trying to play Holy Spirit. And how many Holy Spirits are there? One. My grown children's relationship with God is between them and God. Now, do I want to coach and encourage and nurture and occasionally kick them in the seat? A hundred percent. But there's a risk inherent in that. And so we need to be cautious that we don't have any internal view that I'm better than anybody else. Proverbs 26, 12 says, someone wise in their own eyes, there is more hope for a fool. Arrogance has no place in the body of Christ. And contempt is one of the ways we see arrogance. Do you know how you feel contempt towards someone? They say or do something and you roll your eyes. Does anybody ever roll their eyes? 
Everybody in this room has probably done that at some point. I did yell to my, not yell at my wife, but to her the other day. She was saying something, and I said from the other room, I am rolling my eyes at you. And as long as that's funny and a joke, it's not a big deal. But it gets worse, and it gets toxic, and it'll kill families and marriages. The antidote to contempt or arrogance is humility. We all stand before living God. We all stand before living God, and God doesn't do shame. It's not in his vocabulary. Romans 8 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Condemnation's a bible word for shame. Please don't do that, and please not within a family context ever. Proverbs 15.1, this one maybe ought to be on the fridge. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Third area that I want to spend some moments on, this is another one that will probably raise some blood pressure or make you roll your eyes. Here's the word. Are you ready? Boundaries. Years ago, Henry Cloud and John Townsend wrote the book Boundaries. Probably more than many books in the world of faith and Jesus, that book has impacted a lot of people. It's also been misused. It's also been manipulated. Are there times when a boundary is absolutely critical and healthy? Yes, 100%, if that boundary is in line with God's word and God's heart. So within all of our lives, there may be people that we've said, you don't get to be very close to me because you're poisonous or toxic. That's another one of those you go, okay? Our world is toxic. Relationships can be toxic, but boundaries, the danger gang is they get manipulated. I don't like your politics, so I don't want to talk to you. Does that make sense? That, that we misuse boundaries. There's some great boundaries we ought to have. If somebody comes over and vomits in your living room every time they come, one, they need to go to the doctor. But two, it's okay to say, if you're going to keep vomiting in my living room, I'm not going to welcome you into my living room. That's an okay boundary, but we got to check in here that that's not out of hate or bitterness or resentment, because who suffers with hate, bitterness, and resentment? Us, first and foremost. Don't drink poison and hope they'll die. That does not work that way. So boundaries means we do what's wise. Scripture, Proverbs, talks a lot about wisdom. Don't manipulate your grown kids. You can't come to lunch if you didn't go to church or if you don't believe exactly what I believe. Nathan, my son, sits in the drum cage some Sunday mornings. I texted him this week. I said, hey, I'm talking about family. What should I say? Those of you who know Nathan, who may be listening right now, that is a loaded question. Would you like to know what his answer was? He said, we don't have to agree on everything. Now, wouldn't I love it if we agreed on the big things? Yeah. But I am not his Holy Spirit. And every time I try and be his Holy Spirit, it's a collision for both of us. And somebody in this room knows the pain of having tried to be the Holy Spirit and that relationship is currently fractured. And it's not just a boundary, it's a wall with alligators around it. That's a dangerous place to be. So 
healthy boundaries in family are based out of healthy views, and they need to flow out of humility. Jesus modeled boundaries for us, gang. Is that in uh, Mark chapter 3, Jesus is teaching, the house is crowded. His mom and his brothers, for those of you who are Catholic, that's a readjustment. Jesus had half-brothers and at least two sisters, history tells us. They show up outside the house, and it's so crowded they can't get in. So they send a message in. Jesus wasn't being shady when he said, who are my mother, or who is my mother, who are my brothers? He was simply pointing out that there's more going on, and he wasn't going to deviate from God's plan because they had a different plan. It wasn't mean. It wasn't snarky. It was just, I'm staying on mission. We need to stay on mission. Proverbs 4.26, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. So give careful thought and prayer to boundaries that are God-honoring, not just serving your agenda. So we're going to spend just a few minutes on bottom-line statements. And bottom-line is the way my brain works. If you've ever studied Enneagrams, Enneagrams a personality inventory. It's not the gospel. Don't anybody have a heart attack. It's just a good lens. And on an Enneagram, I'm a three. Threes are achievers. Threes want to get stuff done. Well, the problem with get stuff done is you can run over people. And whatever your number is, is not better than anybody else's number. It's just different. Thank you, God, that we're all different. But bottom line, God designed family. Hallelujah. It's his idea. But from the get-go, it was a mess. Adam and Eve, how long were they in the Garden of Eden before sin? We don't know. What if it was 500 years? Some of you are like, I'd never thought about that. Don't give it that much thought. But it could have been five years, five minutes, five days. It doesn't matter. They sinned and broke fellowship with God. And then their kids and all of us subsequently are dealing with the impact of sin. Proverbs 3.33, the Lord blesses the home of the righteous. God's plan is for our homes to be a place that fosters love and encouragement, teaches how to deal with conflict. Unless they've changed the curriculum in high school or college, there are no good classes on how to have healthy conflict. I love research because research teaches me things I haven't lived long enough to know. 69% of our marital problems are perpetual, according to the alleged experts. They're never going away because we're always going to have our point of view. But if we can find a place in the middle where all of those points of view come together, it's a much more harmonious place. And sometimes it's as simple as pineapple on pizza or not. Apparently, that's a big debate. I'm on the side, pineapple's good on pizza. If you're on the other side, feel free to email Andy on that one. On the real stuff, you can email me. But in our families, there can be wounds. And what I'd really like to encourage all of us, if there are wounds in our families that we have the opportunity to speak to, please do so. But do it with humility Do it without shame and guilt and coercion and trust that the Spirit of God is working. Proverbs 12, 18, sharp words cut like a sword, but words of wisdom heal. God is a healer, and he wants healing for our families. So you do the internal work and reflection with the help of the Spirit of God and figure out, are there things that need to be healed? And I'm not giving this movie a ringing endorsement, disclosure, but in the movie Men in Black, they had a little blinky thing that would take away memories. How many of us would like to have a little blinky thing that would take away hurt and sorrow in our families? If I had one, I would have worn it out 
long time ago. But I can move towards my family. I can express words of sorrow and regret and repentance and seek healing. But understand that some wounds heal very slowly and some wounds leave scars. So if your family is fractured and there's healing, understand it's going to take time and purposeful investment before that begins to feel healthier. And it may always feel a little bit tentative until heaven. How many things are we not going to say in heaven? Oops, I'm sorry, forgive me. All of that's gone because we'll be made whole. And then lastly, in this bottom line area, guard and cherish your family, blood family and not blood. My good friend Jim, I am Uncle Rick to his grandkids. It's the sweetest gig. Labor Day, I'm paddling them around the pond in the kayak. Uncle Rick. I get to pour into them in other ways. Some of you have those kinds of things. But when we guard and cherish our family with an eye on the legacy that we leave, really powerful things begin to happen. A week ago yesterday, I officiated a funeral of a fellow who was 64. 64 used to sound old. It doesn't sound as old at this point in my life. But the thing I loved about it is I got to sit with his family, and I think they were mostly honest, and the legacy that he lived pointed towards Jesus. It wasn't perfect. Nobody is. But to guard and cherish our family, and again, for you folks that are in the child-rearing years, guard and cherish that. Many of the things we're going to lose our minds over when our kids are seven are going to be meaningless when we're 70, which might mean we ought not lose our minds about it. But if we do, to sit down with our kids on their level and express genuine repentance and sorrow at the pain that we've caused. Proverbs 20, verse 7, the righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. I've got enough time. Proverbs 22, 6, if you've been in church any time at all, you've heard Proverbs 22, 6 says, raise a child according to the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Most of us were taught that means if you raise a kid loving Jesus, they will always love Jesus. That is a load of horse pucky, gang. I can give you 500 current examples where that's not true. Because having been here long enough, ups and downs, sorrows, reunions, all of that. If you study the original language in Proverbs and go do it with people that are smarter than me, it says, in essence, raise a child with the personality they have, and when they're old, they'll still have that personality. So we lean in where they are bent is the original language there, like a tree branch. So for us to cherish our family means if you've got three kids or 13 kids, they're all different. And we want to cherish those differences in spite of the fact that it makes us want to drink heavily at times. <laughs> See if most of you are listening. The Amplified Version says, the righteous man walks in integrity and lives a life in accord with his godly beliefs. How blessed, happy, and spiritually secure are his children after him who have his example to follow. I think, gang, we need to live in a way that our kids would follow our example and that would lead them towards Christ. Now, I want to take a turn here for a minute. We're talking mostly about blood family, but in this room, as a part of South Rock, which is the sign out front, we're family. And that means we're going to get on each other's nerves. We're going to hurt. We're going to disappoint one another. 
But the really good news is next Sunday, the family of God that calls South Rock Christian Church home is going to be in High Park as a family for the glory of God. There's a video that you're going to watch, and then don't gather your stuff up. We're not done yet. I've got about 90 seconds after the video. Go ahead. We want to fill you in on a few details so that way you are fully ready for next week. We will not have Saturday night service because we are all coming together for one unified service at High Park. Here are a few of our ministers to walk us through that day. I'm standing at the parking lot uh, right over here. We have the baseball field, the softball field. That way is actually the chip site, if you know what that means. And uh, this is where the majority of parking is. We'll have shuttles, uh, which is just our church vans that have our name on the side that will be going back and forth. So we'd love for you to park here, and then we'll have the shuttles take you and your chairs or whatever to the Zimmerman Shelter over that way. Directly behind me is the Zimmerman Shelter, and this is the Zimmerman Shelter parking. We would love to reserve this for people who need to park closer, but feel free to drop off family and items and then go park nearer to the baseball field and chip site. I'm here at the Zimmerman Shelter. Starting at 9 a.m., we're gonna have breakfast and games for you to enjoy. While you're in line waiting for your pancakes, don't forget to grab a name tag. Write your name down so that we all know who you are. There's also gonna be seating for you to enjoy your breakfast with family and friends. Over here, we have lots of game options. We have nine square and volleyball. The playground's gonna be open. We have yard games and even some foam mats for our crawling babies. We also will have a kid's tent set up so that kids can grab a packet so that they can stay focused and enjoy during service. Hey everyone, I'm over here at the amphitheater in High Park. And so after you leave from the Zimmerman shelter, you're gonna come over this way and you're just gonna see some tents right around the perimeter of this place. Um, at the Welcome Center tent, you're gonna wanna grab communion before you go find your spot to sit down. Over in this grassy area is where we're all gonna be sitting. Make sure you bring a chair or a blanket from your house so that way um, you can have a good, comfortable spot to sit during our worship service. Andy's gonna be preaching from the Word, talking about loving God and the importance of that. And then we're also gonna have some great worship music. We're really looking forward to it. Um, if you have any questions or anything and while you come over to the space and you need help with anything, go to one of those tents that we talked about, or you can look for someone in a South Rock One shirt, just like this one, or we're also gonna have some volunteers with lanyards on. We're really looking forward to South Rock One next week at High Park. Don't forget to wear a South Rock shirt. We'd love to see you there. We have plenty of ways for you to invite your family, friends, and neighbors. These signs are out in the lobby for you to put in your yard starting this Monday. Please bring your yard sign back to the information table at South Rock One or the church office the following week, and then you will be entered into a drawing for a gift card. We want to use these signs every year, so please do not get rid of them. You can also invite your friends on Facebook by finding the event on our page, marking that you're going, and sharing it with your friends. Also, we are still in need of volunteers. We could really use the help with setup of tables, overnight security, and the breakfast team, the kids team, and cleanup. Please visit the table in the lobby when you pick up your yard sign and find a spot to help. We're looking forward to getting the whole South Rock community together as one. We'll see you next Sunday at High Park. You don't want to miss this. That's pretty exciting. Elijah's excited. We can be excited. And some of you have already planned to not be there. I am not your Holy Spirit, but you ought to be there. And you ought to meet somebody, and so I want to encourage you in that direction. So let me, let me land this plane for us this morning. 
If in the process of this morning, maybe the Holy Spirit whispered in your ear or somebody next to you, and you realize you're not a part of God's family, that's the first most important thing to deal with. To my left, over here in the prayer room, is there some folks just like the rest of us, they don't have it all figured out, but they want to encourage you in that path of knowing without a shadow of a doubt that you know Jesus personally and that he knows you. Second thing, if family is a place of pain for you, you could go over there and somebody would pray for you and with you. Maybe you ought to seek professional counseling, and that's not a commercial, it's just a good idea to get somebody to walk through that with you. Now, here's my last one. I forgot to say this last night. I have to apologize Saturday night. If family is awesome for you, why don't we use social media for that? Blow up social media. I love my family. Don't be guilty, shamey in there. But I love my family and I value them. And then an unbelieving world might look at God's people celebrating family and they might want a part of that. Does that make sense? So since I'm standing up here, I get to decide how we finish this morning. And you know, if you've been here when I preach, I want you to meet each other. And I know some of you would rather go to the dentist without Novocaine. I tried to pull a tooth on my own. I get it, okay? I am seeking counseling. But I'm gonna pray, and then I triple dog dare you to stand up and walk over and go, hi, my name is, please use your name. Okay, first name's all we're working on. At men's retreat, we had some guys to use not their names on the, and they know who they are, okay? So I'm gonna pray. You're gonna stand up in spite of all of the anxiety in you and hold out your hand and go, my name is, and then when they tell you your name, use it back to them, and then you'll remember next Sunday at South Rock One when you go, hi, Kelly, I can see Kelly. There, I, I know Kelly, I cheated. I'm gonna try and meet somebody that I don't know. So I'm praying, you're meeting people, and then get on with the rest of the day. God, thank you for placing us in this setting where we can be reminded of how you design family. Help us to lean in the directions that bring about the family that you want for us. And God, where there's pain and sorrow, we pray for your healing. And we pray for this family of South Rock that we would be the people you want us to be and that the world around us would see that. We're so thankful, God for your word and how it teaches and informs our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen.